Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 12th of December 2021, 9.30 service. David Lofman speaking in the series, How They Looked Forward to Jesus, David and the Prophets. I was named after King David. My mum always loved the name David. She told me that when she was a teenager, she used to go to a Jewish youth club where she sang the song, David, Melach Israel. In English, that's David, King of Israel. It's a well-known and popular song among the Jewish people I used to know. I remember singing it at home and at uh, the Hebrew classes I used to attend uh, from about the age of 10. There's something really special about the name David, don't you think? The name David in Hebrew, David, means beloved of God. It echoes what the writer of Acts says in chapter 13, where he describes David as a man after his own heart. This morning, I'm going to talk about how the life of David, later King David, and how the prophets point to Jesus. There are, in fact, lots of different ways David's life does that. I've just picked on a couple. I reckon there's a whole series of sermons I could have preached, or could be preached, on just this one sermon topic. It's not only the events of David's life or how he responded to those events, but also what he said and what's attributed to him in written word, that point to Jesus. In fact, I think I can say that David's life is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus. The story of David begins halfway through the book of Samuel, in chapter 16. It ends in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 2, with David's death at an old age. David's story is also found in 1 Chronicles. I think the writers of those books found the story of David fascinating. After all, he's one of the most complex and attractive characters in the Bible. David's the youngest son of a wealthy farmer. And as a young man, David fights and kills Goliath, a terrifying enemy, and is immediately a hero. David becomes a favourite of the first king of Israel, King Saul. He writes poems and songs and soothes the troubled mind of the king. As a warrior, David becomes even more popular than the king himself. And as a result, he becomes the king's enemy and must run for his life. After King Saul's death, he becomes king himself. And as a king of the united kingdoms of both Judea and Israel, David fights and defeats Israel's enemies. Once settled in Jerusalem, he plans to bring the Ark of the Covenant into into Jerusalem. 
the ark that contained the Ten Commandments given to Moses, written about 500 years earlier, earlier on tablets of stone. That formed the core of the previous covenant God made with Moses. It's the one that Stephen talked about last week. David's reign lasted for 40 years. It was a very successful reign. A warrior king, a poet king, the writer of many of the Psalms that were later compiled into the book of Psalms. In that book, 73 Psalms are attributed to David. He's a king that always sought to do God's will. He's like a superhero. No other biblical character has so much written about him, except for Jesus. In the books that record David's life, there are lots of ways David's life points towards the Messiah. Although he's not considered as a traditional prophet, I think that David's whole life, his words, his actions, what he says and what can be seen, all could be seen as a prophecy pointing to the Messiah, Jesus. One way David's life might be seen as pointing towards Jesus is to look at the various connections there are between David and Jesus. Some of the connections are similarities, some of them are differences. One early similarity between the two is seen where they both came from good families, but really with very modest beginnings. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel the prophet comes to David's father's house looking to anoint the king of Israel. Jesse, David's father, doesn't even consider David of any value or worth to present him to Samuel. It's as if Samuel must prompt Jesse to even remember this son, Jesse's youngest son. Still just a boy, really. He's out on the hillside around a little town called Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem, tending to his father's sheep. And yet, this is the son God has chosen to become king over all Israel. This is the son Samuel the prophet anoints. From that anointing, David was set apart to become king over all Israel. Likewise, Jesus, not the last-born son, but the first-born son of Joseph and Mary. And Joseph is related to David. Jesus, born in the same town as David. And like David, Jesus and his family must run for their lives. Jesus is the son of Joseph, a simple carpenter living in another insignificant town, Nazareth in Galilee. And yet, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus, now 30 years old, is baptised and acknowledged by God as his son. Another way David's life points towards Jesus is shown in the language used in scripture of shepherd and sheep. It's another similarity between David and Jesus. In the Old Testament scriptures, particularly in the books of the prophets, 
There are many references to shepherds as the priests and leaders of the people, and the ordinary people are often referred to as sheep. When Samuel first met David, he was a shepherd looking after his father's flocks. And as a shepherd, he would guide the sheep to good pastures and rescue them if they got into trouble or got lost. And Jesus, along with the writers of the Gospels, take up this Old Testament imagery of shepherds and sheep and apply them to Jesus, to himself. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd and tells the story of the lost sheep in Luke. There's another significant connection the Bible writers make between David and Jesus. It's the way the city of Jerusalem is used in both David's and Jesus's life. It is King David who establishes Jerusalem as Israel's political and spiritual capital. It's from Jerusalem that David reigns. It becomes the centre of King David's empire. King David moved his palace from Hebron, where he ruled over Judea. And after a few years, he invaded Jerusalem and became king over Judea and Israel. Interestingly, when I visited Jerusalem in 1978, I actually walked the secret water tunnel that David used to invade that city. In Jerusalem, David bought the land his son would later build the temple, the place where God and his people can meet, where they can be reconciled and made peace with God through sacrifices. But unlike David, who enters Jerusalem as a warrior, who conquers it, because, who conquers it becomes king over the whole of Judea, and Israel. Jesus, on the other hand, in his early ministry, enters Jerusalem as a teacher. He has a growing following of people. He has forgiven sins. Jesus has performed miracles, healed the sick. He's criticized the Jewish establishment and has spoken with power and authority that comes from God. However, on his final visit to Jerusalem, he enters the city like a king. The crowd shout, Hosanna to the son of David. The crowd seem to recognize Jesus as God's anointed one. And yet, that very week, he is betrayed by a follower, arrested, tried, sentenced to death, and executed under Roman law. And yet, we, you and I, Realize that along with his close followers, that in his execution, Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, becomes king not just of God's people, but the whole of creation. David's kingship came with a crown of gold and precious stones and palaces, great wealth, whereas Jesus' kingship came with a crown of thorns. And yet, 
He is enthroned on the right hand of God, ruling the universe. Perhaps the most significant way in which God uses David to point towards Jesus is when David is given a prophecy. This happens once David is established and settled in Jerusalem when Nathan, a prophet, comes to David with the message we heard in our reading that Alastair gave us. Thank you. In his prophecy, God reaffirms the covenants he made with Abraham and Moses. These covenants contain promises that God will make a holy nation and give them a homeland. And they will have laws that, if obeyed, will make them prosper and be successful. But then, God, through Nathan, speaking to David, makes a new covenant. It's based on a completely new concept, that of the anointed one, the Messiah. Nathan tells David that God will raise up a descendant of David's. God tells David that he will establish a kingdom where the anointed one will reign forever. This message changes everything. It's a messianic prophecy. It's really the first time in scriptures, I think, where God speaks so clearly and directly about the coming Messiah. Jewish readers, then and now, see Nathan's prophecy as a clear reference to King Solomon and the Davidic line of kings that are descended from David. After all, King Solomon did build the temple in Jerusalem. It became the centre of Judaism. It was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. It was the place where sacrifices were made by people to atone for their sins. But I found that prophecy is a slippery and complex thing and often has multi-layers. Christians read this prophecy as pointing not only towards King Solomon, but also towards the Messiah, Jesus. It is his kingdom that will last forever. From David onwards, the prophets of Israel include messianic prophecies that link directly to the prophecy Nathan gave to David on that day. They speak of a man, a blood relation to King David. He will reign over a kingdom with righteousness and justice, and this kingdom will last for all time. Nathan is referring to Jesus. In Jesus, Nathan's prophecy is fulfilled. Another prophet, Isaiah, writing about 300 years after David, refers to David and his descendants in his prophetic writing. He refers to a descendant of David still yet to come who will be the Messiah. The prophecies, I think, are astounding. You can find them in chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah. Describing the Messiah full of wisdom and the knowledge of God, his reign will be full of righteousness. He will care for the poor. He will defeat the wicked. His kingdom will last forever. 
and we'll probably hear other messianic prophecies at the carols by candlelight service next week. You'll recognize them. There's Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 3. It tells of a child given to the world. He will be a descendant of David and reign over his great kingdom. It will have no end. He will wield power and be known by many names that identify him as the one supreme God. It's a prophecy that refers directly back to the prophecy Nathan told David in 1 Samuel. That prophecy really, I think, is the foundation for what we now know today as the Davidic covenant. A promise that God makes expressing his love for his people. It shows the way we can be totally reconciled and made one with God, our Heavenly Father. I remember once, years ago now, when I first started teaching at Richmond College, a colleague came up to me and he asked, would I prefer to be called Dave or David? I hadn't really given it any thought, but I immediately turned to him and I said, well, if you want to speak to me and my soul, you have to call me David. So I pray for us here, right now, that Lord, you will help us all to listen to what you want to say to us in our lives during this Christmas time with our minds and with all our souls. Help us put away all the hype and distractions of this festival time and help us to listen, to really listen to you. And having listened with our minds and our souls, may each of us put into practice how you want us to act to advance your kingdom further in the world. Amen. <laughs>